Hi, this is Bart Day, President and CEO of the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. For the last 39 years, LCEF has had the humble privilege of supporting the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We recognize all of the individuals, churches, schools, and other organizations who serve to fulfill the mission of making the love of Christ known to our communities and the world. We look forward to another 39 years of partnership. Visit us at lcef.org to learn more. Why should congregations develop a holistic approach to involving young Christians into the life of the church, especially as it relates to confirmation? What is the history of confirmation? Why is much of what is occurring in our churches not meeting the needs of today's youth? And why are so many youth and young adults leaving the church? Join us today as I interview Reverend Peter Nafsker, Assistant Professor of Practical Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Our topic, beginning with the end in mind. This is Kay Meyer, President of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Thanks, Dr. Nafsker, for being my guest today on Family Shield. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to have you here. Um, You shared with me that your church... uh, prior to you taking this call to Concordia Seminary, began looking at how they could reconsider confirmation. Tell us about that. Yeah, the congregation I served up in Minnesota, a New Life Church Lutheran, it's called. And we had, uh, like a lot of congregations, we had kids confirming their faith when they were about 14 years old, and a, a disturbingly high proportion of them not even coming to church the next Sunday, much less throughout high school. And so we started to realize, uh, we, we wondered if there's a better way we can instruct the kids, accomplish the things we want to accomplish in confirmation, but to do so more effectively today. Uh, we, at the same time, we had two years where there were no confirmands in our congregation. So we had a chance to reconsider without upsetting any apple carts. And that gave us a chance to, to rethink what are we doing, why are we doing it, how are we doing it, and how might we improve. Mm-hmm. So your plan... Uh, is a holistic approach to incorporating young Christians into the life of the church. Uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, what we did is after those two years of thinking about how could we do this more effectively, we started to think about um, what do we want kids who confirm their faith to turn out like? And so we identified a couple of members in the congregation who are actually retired members and said, what could we do in confirmation to help kids move toward that? Uh, faithful members who served in the church and who witnessed their faith to others and who participated in Bible study, that kind of thing. And so we started looking at confirmation as an opportunity to do more than just convey true information, the biblical teachings, uh, but also a chance to incorporate these young people into the life of the church in in ways that uh, are experiential, where they understand what it means to put their faith into practice, uh, in ways that connect with all the members of the congregation, not just their peers, but older and younger people as well, and, and to do so to, to take the time to bring them into this full Christian life um, so that it wasn't easy to slip away after mm-hmm. confirmation. The idea was generally that we wanted our kids to be so, their lives after they got through confirmation, to be so intertwined with the church that to leave the church at that point would be to rip a part of themselves uh, mm-hmm. away. And so we wanted to make that a very uh, holistic approach to to faith maturation. That's awesome. Well, give us a little history about confirmation. 
Yeah, confirmation is really a, it's a, it's a crazy history. There's books written on this, so I obviously won't get into most of the details, but it, it began with initiation, a part of the baptism and initiation into the Christian life. And over the course of the, the centuries, it became uh, kind of a distinct right. It got pushed further and further back, close to 13, 14, that kind of age. It wasn't um, always at that age? No, it, originally in the early church, there was no real confirmation. It was almost part of the baptismal ceremony. Uh. Um, and, and then when, by the time you got to the Reformation, uh, the confirmation had become a, a sacrament, a special rite uh, that— um, that the Lutherans, at least in the 16th century, said we're not quite sure we find this in the Bible. Kind of all the things that had become attached to confirmation, and so they, a lot of the Lutherans, simply stopped confirmation. Period. And what they did is they didn't stop teaching their kids, though. Uh, and so instead of having the right of confirmation, they um, they spent a lot of time catechizing their kids, teaching them, bringing them into the Christian life, um, and then. Uh, Things progressed after the Reformation, and, and for a while in Germany, there was no confirmation in some places for a couple hundred years. Really? Uh, and then in the 17th and 18th centuries, for a number of reasons, people started bringing the rite and the ceremony back, and uh, and then it kind of got us to where we are today. But what was interesting as I started studying confirmation is it's one of those things in a lot of churches that we, we feel like we've always done it this way, and so we mm-hmm. need to do it this way. Uh, but actually, the way we do confirmation now has not been done for the most of, most of the history of the church, especially not in the Reformation. And you can't find in the Bible where you have to have confirmation, but certainly you want to help Christians grow in their faith. That's the key. That's And that's where the Lutherans did a really helpful thing in the 16th century is they helped us clarify our job is not to send kids through a rite or a ceremony, but to raise them up, to teach them, to equip them to be the body of Christ here and now. And so that's kind of what the heart of what confirmation is that we want to recover and and, ex, and explore and expand. Mm-hmm. Well, you also talk in the information about statistics related to youth and young adults and how they're leaving the church. Can you just you quoted a little bit about that? But can you quote some of those statistics for our listeners? I think everybody knows much of this, but I think it's helpful to review that. Yeah, uh, David Kinneman from the Barna Group has written a really helpful book called "You Lost Me." And in there, they have all sorts of stats about uh, the the state of the church. And one that stood out to me was, I think it was 59% of 18 to 29-year-olds in uh, in our country, uh, Christians, who had a, a Christian church background, uh, 59% of them uh, have no longer a connection to the church. And so you just do the math, that's 6 out of 10 kids who grew up in the church in their 20s are away from, are away from the church. And uh, that's... That's really a terrible rate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if our job is to pass on the faith to the next generation and we're, and we're not even getting half of them to stay connected, um, that's a broader statistic. I, I think a lot of congregations, in my congregation of Minnesota, it was two-thirds of the kids had no connection. Uh, and I think that's probably pretty characteristic of a lot of congregations today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very challenging. Uh, the youth, um, they grow up faster today. Well, they grow up faster and they grow up slower. And this was one of the reasons that the way, I, the way we put together in our congregation, we wanted to expand the confirmation process because kids today are exposed to a whole lot more, a whole lot sooner mm-hmm. uh, through things like the Internet, social media, that kind of thing. At the same time, kids are taking responsibility much later. Uh, and so you've got a concept that sociologists call extended adolescence where we've got this long period of adolescence when, when a couple generations ago you'd go from eighth grade to the working on the farm. Uh, now you've got this decade almost where kids are kind of in a state of limbo 
And uh, we concluded the church needs to step in and fill that space much more intentionally and much more proactively. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's talk for a minute about, a little bit more about the goal of what you want to accomplish and then talk a little bit about the process that you put in into this strategic plan uh, that uh, takes much more than the two years that many confirmation programs uh, use. Yeah, it takes much more time and it also takes much more involvement from the congregation. And parents. Uh, and parents. That's important. Uh, because traditionally what has happened, at least in a lot of circles, a lot of congregations, is a child gets to age 12 or 13 and they have two years of of information classes, basically. And it's strictly uh, information. Strictly information. And uh, and that's good. The information is important. Uh, but oftentimes kids don't see how that connects to the rest of their life. Mm. Um, and, and they begin to look at confirmation as a class they have to pass, a test they have to take, mm-hmm. instead of the beginning of a new life. Um, and, and so what we wanted to do, our, our goal with revising our confirmation process was to have kids who finished confirmation be full participants in the life of the congregation in, in holistic ways. Uh, not just know the right doctrines, mm-hmm. or the teachings, but to be practicing and living out their faith in the congregation, in their communities, um, more holistically. Uh, the the way to go about that then, we we thought, was to to spend some more time and, and to, to make the teaching more experiential. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we mean by that is we still want to teach the content, the basics of the faith that God gives us in the scriptures. Uh, but we also want to help kids see where that intersects with their daily life. Uh, and so a lot of the, the the new program we put together were experiential studies where we'd spend a couple of weeks studying a particular concept and then we'd do some sort of field trip or activity. The kids would have some sort of reflection exercise. And then all of that together would get them one step closer to the confirmation process. And you talk, the, talk about those as benchmarks. And we're going to talk about several of those a little bit later. So that is why you call this uh, beginning with the end in mind. Rather than just going and feeding them a lot of information, you help them in a longer process, not just a two-year time frame. So tell us a little bit more about the process that you planned, understanding that each congregation is going to be a little bit different in how they put it together. Yeah, we put uh, at our congregation up in Minnesota – uh, we began the process around fifth grade where kids started. They spent a year in the home studying with their parents with some uh, tools that we provided, uh, some some workbooks and some resources. And then with regular communication with the church and the pastor, uh, we'd kind of help the family do this to begin with. Uh, then they would begin um, kind of a more congregational uh, habit where they would participate in the service projects in the congregation. They would have these intentional studies called benchmarks, which we mentioned uh, they would uh, become involved in the, the in and out of the congregation in a whole lot of variety of ways. And that process, which would begin around fifth grade, um, would, wouldn't end really until junior or senior year in high school. And it would, it would um, help kids experience it at an age-appropriate level. You know, there's some issues that you don't want to talk about with fifth graders sure. that's not really yeah. appropriate, they're right. not ready for, uh, that really need to be discussed when they're getting toward the end of high school. Uh, this this process then would allow us to put the things that are more appropriate for a mature child at, at the right place. Um, and it would also give the kids a chance to mature at their own rate. Uh, one of the concerns we had about confirmation as it's traditionally done is kids generally, when you're at a certain grade, now you're supposed to be ready to have a certain spiritual maturity. And, and we kind of shuffle kids all through as a herd. 
this particular program we put together was much more in, could be individualized. So it would take a little bit more initiative on the child's part, and they'd have a little bit more choice in how they pursue uh, certain parts of uh, of the program. Now, how is it intergenerational? It's intergenerational a couple of different ways. One is uh, it, it, mentoring is a big part of of this uh, process. We wanted to connect the kids to uh, adults and older adults in the congregation that are not their family and they're not on staff at the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, this comes out as uh, as they participate in service projects in the congregation. You know, some of the options are for kids to be ushers or on the altar guild where they're interacting with other adults that are not their parents, not their pastor. Um, it would also take place even on, on the, the other end of the spectrum where they would help out with younger kids uh, in Sunday school type settings. Uh, they'd be building these relationships with with all ages. Um, the Kind of the general idea with the adults, uh, and this comes from a, a book called Sticky Faith, um, that uh, the, the principle of usually when you go on a field trip, the principle is that you want to have five kids with one adult chaperone. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 idea here is that you have five adults for every one kid, five mm. adults in the congregation who are taking an active interest in each child, uh, and this gives the adults in the congregation a great chance to interact and help shape the future of the church, and it helps each individual child uh, find connections with members throughout throughout the congregation. That's awesome. You already talked a little bit about how it's prolonged. It starts kind of you're flexible with this, but right before they start fifth grade. And um, uh, you go till around 16 years old, which is, if I'm counting right, six years compared to two years. Mm -hmm. But again, you're pretty flexible. Talk a little bit about the flexibility of when they start. Yeah, the idea was that you'd start in fifth grade assuming that the child and the parent and the pastor or youth worker all agree this child is ready to begin growing in a very intentional way in their faith. Not every kid at, at fifth grade is ready for that. Right. Uh, and so it's not automatic, but with conversations, then you'd start that process. And, and the way we ch- planned it up at our congregation was uh, there were certain things you couldn't do that were required until you were of a certain age. And so it extended it at least to 16. If I had my druthers, I'd make it go all the way to 18. Uh, <laughs> because the way the way we think about it is just we want to incorporate – it shouldn't be the kind of thing that ever ends, really. Right. Uh, it's you part incorporate of your faith them walk. into the Christian life and, and go from there. Good. Well – after I, I have a few announcements, but we're going to talk about some of the benchmarks because this is this was what interested me so much. I think we just needed to share some of the foundational uh, uh, strategic thought behind it before we talk about how this works because I think the listeners will really see how this can apply not only to have knowledge but to actually be actively involved in doing some of the activities with others. Today, Family Shield is giving away the booklet, Parenting Families, Practical Strategies for Family Life. To request the booklet, call the Family Shield Response Center, 1-877-250-8416, or email us at witness2family at gmail.com. We, again, want to thank our sponsors. They include Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate, Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Drury Hotels, Lutheran Women's Missionary League, Christ Memorial Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Our Savior Lutheran Church in Arcadia, California, Spencer Fain, Lutheran Federal Credit Union, Ted Drew's Frozen Custard, 
Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Concordia Lutheran Church in Kirkwood, and Newstetter Fine Jewelry. This does not include all the individuals and families that support the ministry. If you're a Thrivent Financial member, you can designate Thrivent Choice dollars to support Family Shield Ministries. Go to www.thrivent.com slash Choice or call Thrivent at 1-800-847-4836 and their staff will help you do this. Again, that number is 1-800-847-4836. Remember, you choose, but Thrivent gives the gift. You can contact us on our website at www.FamilyShieldMinistries.com. Now I want to go back to my guest, Dr. Peter Nafsker of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. As I mentioned at the beginning of the program, he is the Assistant Professor of Practical Theology. And tell our listeners a little bit about Concordia Seminary. First of all, the mission. Concordia Seminary is a, is a seminary, a graduate school that, that trains pastors and deaconesses and leaders for the church. Um, and we do so as uh, faithful, conservative Christians who want to help the church um, be faithful in changing times. And so a lot of what our, our efforts are, are geared toward uh, would be helping equip the church um, uh, through pastors and deaconesses uh, so that they may continue to proclaim the truths uh, that we find in the scriptures. Uh, in a in a very changing world, and so we take that seriously, and yet we are confident in the gospel and God's promises that the church uh, will continue until the Lord returns, strong and steadfast. And so we're doing our best to make that happen. Great. And I think some of our listeners are going to say, "What does an assistant professor of practical theology teach?" So okay. tell us what you teach. Well, I, I like to call the practical department. Uh, there's a number of departments at the seminary, but the practical department is the practice of good theology department because we we care about theology because God gives us uh, His Word. And then how do we put that into practice? Uh, most of my classes are in the preaching uh, area. So I teach a lot of preaching classes. I also teach some, some doctrinal theology classes as well, which, uh, which talk about putting these doctrines into, into practice Great. in the life of the church. And I did hear you wrote a book. Tell me what the name of the book is. Uh, the book is called These Are Written uh, Toward a Cruciform Theology of Scripture. And that's it's an attempt to explain how, how we believe the Scriptures are, are God's Word and, uh, and how to make sense of uh, all the different challenges that come against the Scriptures. Wonderful. Well, I have a son-in-law that's at Concordia Seminary. Um, he's a vicar this year. So we love Concordia Seminary, and uh, we thank you so much for for joining us today. If people want to learn more, they can go to www.csl.edu. csl.edu. Edu. Okay, good. Uh, let's go back and continue talking about uh, beginning with the end in mind. We talked a little bit about the um, benchmarks, and you have a whole lot of them. Uh, just share with our listeners one maybe that you like, or I know you like them all, but how this works, what are the benchmarks? Sure. So the benchmarks, the centerpiece to this new confirmation program is a series of studies that involve an in-depth study uh, of one of the basics of the faith. As Lutherans, we talk about the catechism. So it'd be one part of the catechism. And we'd go very much in-depth in a biblical sort of way. And then we'd do some sort of activity around that. Uh, So one that I particularly like would be called uh, the resurrection of the dead. Mm. Uh, this is where we would take seriously the, the Apostles' Creed where it says that uh, there's the life everlasting, resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. 
And so we would do a study on what does that mean for eternity? What does that mean for heaven? What does that mean for the return of Christ? Uh, so we would do a, a two or three part study, which is very content based. Then the plan would be to go on a field trip uh, with the kids who are in this study and any parents or other members of the congregation who wanted to go with us. And we'd visit a funeral home, take a tour of the funeral home, figure out how, what if, how do funeral homes treat bodies uh, oh. that have died. And then uh, we would get back to church after that activity and we'd meet again and the students would plan their own funeral. We'd go through the section of the hymnal that has uh, funeral hymns and we would choose appropriate hymns. And then uh, they would put together their, their funeral service and their parents would, uh, would review it with them and sign off on it. And, and then if uh, the youth who complete each of those steps in this process would then receive this one benchmark for having studied and considered the resurrection of the body and all of that entails uh, for our life as Christians. Yeah, yeah, good. And I, I saw um, so many other wonderful ones. God's design for sex and to visit and serve in a crisis pregnancy center. Now, that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, we talk about uh, God's design for sex and Sixth Commandment, um, but uh, we want to help kids see real life what that looks like and mm-hmm. to, to interact with people who were uh, who were having pregnancies when they were younger and mm-hmm. try to figure out how to help and support that and also help put some skin and bones on what why that commandment is important. Great. And then you also have one called God's Good Creation on the uh, first article camping trip as a youth group. Now that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, those I'm sure there's lots of stories that could go wrong on a youth uh-huh, camping trip. Uh-huh. But to help kids appreciate creation uh, sure. is this incredible gift of God uh firsthand, especially if you're a congregation in the city. Uh, sometimes you don't always see Right. Uh, see a lot all of the youth maybe some of them um children have never been on a camping trip. Yeah, especially you go into urban centers. And creation has got a very distinct look to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to get out away from the city uh, can be a really helpful experience. Yeah, yeah. What's another one that you really like? Because there is a lot of them here. We will not have time to talk about all of them. One, one that I really particularly find helpful is a study on worship. worship. Uh, regular worship is such an important part of the Christian life. And uh, as, as a Lutheran, I feel very good and very strongly about the way we worship is is a very important uh, but we don't always explain to our, our kids, especially, or frankly, all our members, uh, why we worship and how, how that's important and, and what that looks like. Uh, so we have one call. I don't remember what the title of it was, but we would encourage the kids. We actually not encourage them. We would go with them to visit several different churches, uh, oh, yeah, visit their church uh, worship services. And, and the restrictions were one of them had to be were Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, our congregation. One had to be a different LCMS congregation. One had to be a non-Lutheran congregation. And then we equipped the kids with a, an observation form, a several-page document where they would look around and see what's in the sanctuary. They would evaluate kind of what's going on in the worship service, what's prayed for, do you collect an offering or not, do they celebrate the Lord's Supper, have the kids just observe these things. Mm-hmm. Um, they would complete a, a several-part study on worship from a Lutheran perspective, and then they would come back and uh, discuss what they learned, what they observed, and then plan a worship service together with the pastor and then participate in, in youth-appropriate ways in that worship service. So the idea would be not just to tell kids, here's, here's a good, helpful way to worship, but to help them see and experience uh, good examples and examples that maybe could be improved mm-hmm. um, and then reflect on that as they prepare to worship. Uh, that's one that actually the congregation did actually do after I left, and, and the reports that I got back said that it was very positive. The kids understood why they worship and how they worship in, in a mm-hmm. new way. Yeah. My husband and I used to take our children to different Christian denominations, so they understood the body of Christ. Christianity is more than just 
the Lutheran Church, yeah. many people will say, oh, that's a different religion. Right, Roman, right. Roman Catholic Presbyterians. No, no, no. Right. We're the same religion, but we do have different some different practices or beliefs. Yeah, yeah that's that's helpful, especially as you worship with fellow believers to you see bet. the variety and then understand why there are differences. Yeah. So we can talk more about the benchmarks, but prior to the uh, interview, I I said, what about a youth that has parents that are not at all interested in the Christian faith? And that can often happen. You mentioned that it did happen. What do you do with this program if that's the case, since parents are so involved? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's it's a good question because not only are there a lot of youth who don't have Christian parents increasingly in our in our less Christian culture, uh, but also there are uh, many homes that are split up in ways that, that present all sorts of challenges. Oh, yeah, different denomination, uh, maybe different religions in the same home. Yeah, yeah, different religions, all sorts of different struggles. And so the uh, the plan is to have mentors in the congregation connect and serve almost as surrogate, almost kind of baptismal sponsors without having mm-hmm. been there for the baptism. Although in our case, we did baptize one of our high school kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be uh, almost helping the congregation become the family for for kids and youth who don't have a Christian home. Awesome, awesome. Well, we have two minutes left. Uh, what else do you want to share with our listeners as we kind of conclude the program? Yeah, I, I, I suppose I'd like to share that I've talked with a lot of congregations, a lot of pastors about this since we put this together. I've shared it in a variety of settings. I've given workshops on it. I made presentations. And one thing that's certain is that most congregations are, are dissatisfied with the way they do confirmation, the way they raise up their kids today. And, and there are a lot of congregations trying a lot of neat things and a lot of innovative things. Um, what I would hope to do is to offer some concrete suggestions of what, what that might look like and how, how that might be done in a responsible, holistic way. Mm-hmm. And in light of where confirmation has been in the past and where we're going in the future – I'd like to tell people in our congregation who are a little bit worried about the state of the church, the future of the church, I'd like to tell them this this is a great way you can participate. And mm, so uh, good idea. anybody who's interested in, in learning more about this, I'm happy to share it. Uh, you can contact me through the uh, seminary's website, uh, but I'd be happy to share what we did and, and help you think through what you might do uh, because we are after uh, the same goal, I think, is to raise up Christians in this increasingly challenging world. You bet. Again, my guest is Professor Peter Nasker. He is with Concordia Seminary. And uh, we've been talking about Beginning with the End in Mind, a program that his past church put together. And uh, I think it's a great opportunity if you are struggling with confirmation to learn about this, think about this. There's many different ways you could adapt it. It doesn't have to be exactly in the way that Peter has written. You actually have a document, but you also do presentations. So just encourage people. I know you don't have lots of time, but the concept is something we need to learn more about so that our youth are growing in their faith and not only having knowledge, but also life application. Uh, again, this is Kay Meyer with Family Shield. Learn more about Family Shield at www.familyshieldministries.com. We're thankful that you're listening. God bless your day. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. 
To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield.